Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the MTG Complex Cast. My name is Steven and I'm joined by my co-hosts John. Hey. And Chris. Hey. And in today's episode we'll be talking about Pro Tour Exxon and going over some RPTQ prep talk. Uh, let's kick things off with our weekly roundup where we talk about what decks we piloted and what decks we played against. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. So I managed to get a solid seven rounds in with uh, Blue Black Shadow. <clears throat> and I went two and two at FNM. And to the surprise of exactly no one, Sonic Blast was absolutely awful. What? Crazy. <laughs> It was never good at any point that I drew it. It was every, it was always the worst possible draw I could have drawn when I drew it. Turns out that card <laughs> has not actually been good since like 1995 or something. <laughs> um, so the first four rounds I played the deck, I had Sonic Blast in my deck, which didn't help. So I removed that and instead played um, a Mana Leak, and then I went 2-1 and one in three more rounds. Significantly better. Turns out if you take dead cards out of your deck and put in cards that do things, your deck gets better. Weird. But it was very weird for me to play a, a shadow deck, kind of like a controlly mid rangey type of strategy. It's very kind of foreign to me. I'm usually either trying to play something degenerate or um, swans. <laughs> I mean, some might argue they're the same. <laughs> uh, so what'd you play, John? Uh, speaking of degenerate decks, I played swans. Um, I didn't do very well. Uh, turns out I'm really bad at both magic and swans. Um, I played at FNM. Uh, I somehow managed to get a buy, which was miserable. And I think I won one round over the course of the evening. Uh, I felt like I could have won the other rounds, but I just wasn't good enough, <laughs> which was really <laughs> frustrating. Um, I definitely felt like the deck had more to offer than I managed to pull from it. Um, I just had these hands full of cards and I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was really frustrating. I just felt like after, after the, the games were over, I just kind of was sitting there and just didn't understand how I'd lost. Um, which is weird because usually I can kind of put my finger on exactly where I, you know, where I went wrong. The turn I, I cast the wrong spell or, you know, how, how my strategy might've been flawed and I should have taken kind of a different tack on how I approached the game. And um, with these Swans games, I just felt like I had to completely rethink, like, every turn of the game. Everything I'd done had just been, like, kind of off a little bit. Um, deck seems to have kind of like a cascading effect on, on poor decisions. Kind of once you um, once you make one wrong choice, you just end up out in the weeds really quick, and it's hard to kind of put, get the game back on track. Um, so that might be a flaw of the deck. Uh, it might be little, the margins on the deck might, might be a little bit narrow. Um, I don't know. Um, I'm going to keep trying out it. I think I just need to put more time into the deck and, and kind of reapproach things. And I've also spent a lot of time uh, jamming some games um, online, playing Blue Red Delver. I'm trying to ch- uh, kind of try to test out Charter Course in uh, in a, a less aggressive list than, than uh, Blue Red Delver normally plays. Uh, trying to prep for the uh, Team GP in Santa Clara coming up in January where I'm going to be playing the Legacy portion for our team. Um, Grixis Delver is kind of the easy way uh to go but i really want to give uh blue red a fair shake uh charter course is a new card that's been introduced in the format and it feels really good to be able to just pay two draw two in uh, a deck like blue red delver um kind of 
overloading on charter courses to start and seeing you know how much i like them before trimming down to a more reasonable number i don't think four is going to be the final number but it kind of changes how the deck plays out you know normally you're playing um a more aggressive game plan with stuff like storm chaser mage uh and you're playing price of progress which is just really good against the format right now and um charter course makes you want to play more stuff like uh, young pyromancer and just kind of a more value game and so i'm really trying to figure out you know is is price of progress the card you want to be playing or is wasteland the card you want to be playing and i feel like price of progress is a really strong card but you definitely don't want to be playing it with wasteland so i'm, I'm trying to trying to feel things out and see where i land on that and i just have to jam leagues until I, I get a better idea so i've been trying to probably been trying to do a league every two days or so um and uh, I'll, I'll know a bit more. I'll report back in a week or two and see what my, my feelings are and how things have changed. I did the same thing before Vegas where I spent a lot of time testing blue-red and I just ended up playing Grixis. So <laughs> we'll see if things shake out the same way. Um, I just I really want to spend the time on blue-red and not write it off because I think that deck is a bit of a sleeper. Uh, how about you, Steven? What did you play this week? Uh, so in the since our last episode, I've had a very active... Uh, magic life. Um, I've been playing Swans uh, and Affinity and Modern. Um, I agree with you 100% on what you said about Swans. It is... I lost a lot with that deck, and I do think that, that the deck had way more options than I anticipated it to have, and every time I lost, I really... I felt, I felt the game. I, I could... I, I could see the end and where I needed to be, but I couldn't put myself at that place. Um, whether it be because my opponent either drew really well or because I made really bad uh, misplays. Um, I think it's a very complicated deck. And I... So many props to Chris for taking this to a tournament and killing a room because I honestly have the hardest time with this deck. Like I see how he did it. I just it's getting there. But it's exactly, hard. exactly. Yeah, it, like, it, the deck feels like you could do that. Like I sit down and I'm like, I could crush this room. Like the deck just feels really powerful. But like actually making that happen is a lot harder. It's definitely <laughs> very deceptively difficult to play. Yeah, uh, and I I don't even know how you did it. Honestly, like <laughs> it was it was really hard for me to play that deck. Um, I also played Affinity, where I uh, beat my FNM room with it, so that was cool, knowing that I can still... I haven't played Affinity since I won that uh, uh, PPTQ, so it just feels good to know that I'm, I'm well-versed in the deck and I can pick it up and, and figure out lines the same way I have been for always. Um, you gotta shake off that rust before the RPTQ, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, which I don't think it's... I, I'll have to jam a bunch of online games to, to really get back in the mindset of it. but Because um, I made misplays, but but I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, I also played uh, Grixis Delver and Legacy, which was, it, for the first time since, I don't know, four or five months, uh, Legacy popped off in my area. And it was just due to one player just kind of like feeling the room uh, he he like mentioned legacy and like we started playing a few a few games and then like some people walked by and were like oh legacy we're gonna watch and then everybody kind of like there's like four or five people around the table and you know kind of just talking about legacy and so we all just decided to fire a saturday event where we ended up getting eight people which was awesome 
we did it with 10 proxies a person and then a dollar for each other proxy and i played uh grixis delver because i apparently have been hoarding uh legacy staples for <laughs> a little while <laughs> and i didn't even realize that i was i was like oh man i don't have dazes or or brainstorms or like or cabal therapies and i like was just digging through my through my collection and there they were and i was like oh how convenient yeah okay cool yeah i'll just i'll just proxy this up i proxied a uh two um what's the name of the merfolk dude i always forget his name true name nemesis true name nemesis i didn't i uh got two have true some respect for that card yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 i never got to play which is unfortunate um i actually pitched it twice to to a force because i I just needed to counter things. Hey man, we're all the all blue cards are soldiers in the line of duty when it comes to pitching <laughs> the force of Willa. <laughs> um, so I proxied those, I proxied forces, I proxied the the dual lands, but I had everything else, which was pretty cool. Um, and I did. I ended up going uh, two and two, which was better than I expected, especially for the first time picking up the deck. Um, Man, I, if you'd hit me up for a list, you might have gone at least three and one. <laughs> yeah, I, it was kind of like a last minute thing. I didn't. I was just gonna play my Death and Taxes deck, and then kind of like that morning of, like an hour before I left, I was like, "Do I have the cards for these?" And I just started digging, and I found them. Gotcha. Um, what I do will say about the deck, I know that you've mentioned this multiple times, uh, but if you're not playing Deathrite Shaman, you, you say in Legacy, if, if you're not playing Deathrite Shaman, what are you doing? Like, how are you not playing Deathrite Shaman? I totally yeah. understand that now. Oh, man. Yeah. Deathrite Shaman, like, hands down, won me multiple games. Like, I mean, without yeah, a shadow I'm, of a doubt. I'm playing Blue Red Delver, which doesn't play Deathrite, and. Um, my opponent goes turn one death right and every single time i either bolt it or i don't bolt it and i i'm behind the eight ball the whole game like the death right just sets the pace of the game like um price of progress is insane against most of these death right decks but if you let them just have death right out the whole game it's not going to win you the game <laughs> like, no it, it, yeah <laughs> is, like it really just t- does take over games and especially when you're dealing with decks that are reliant on graveyards and it, it just gets so much better yeah, there the was a there's a, a reanimator deck, a storm deck, or two storm decks, and then a uh, dredge, uh, manless dredge, or not manless. I think he had a few lands. Uh, Cephalid Coliseum, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. and, and like uh, some rainbow lands. Cephalid breakfast. And yeah, it was it was just insane. Where he was like, tap my my uh, or crack my land to draw three, discard three, and I was like, oh, uh, exile your creature. He's like, yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I was like, yes, great. Fantastic. Yeah, I actually played against uh, uh, Mana Dredge um, uh, at FNM just like for some practice games. And um, not having Death Right and Blue Red just hurt so bad. Yeah. Um, it was just like being on the, on the play was great. Um, they had a really hard time doing anything, but being on the draw uh, was like for, you know, force check every time. Yeah. They play LED, and it's just like, oh, do I force a wall? No? Okay, I guess I lose. Like, I don't have death rights to, like, try to rein this in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in standard, I've been playing uh, blue, uh, blue, white, and balm, which is a list that uh, Saffron Olive streamed with, like, two weeks ago, I think. And it basically just runs a value in balm cards and then anointed processions kind of as, like, your your win condition to like 
make a bunch of tokens and, and kind of win out the game from there. Um, and I really enjoy playing decks that rely on the graveyard and standard because a lot of people shave on their uh, graveyard hate when it's not relevant. Uh, so being able to sit down across a person who doesn't have any graveyard hate is just, I feel really powerful in standard. Um, I mean, you're in, good, you're in good company playing an Embalm deck, you know? Just just play the Scarab God. Oh, boom. Embalm deck. You know, if, if, if I had one, I would I would just play black. I would just add black to the deck and just play two or three of them, You know, my, my offer to mail you my Scarab God still stands. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll think of a deck and then, and then ask for it. <laughs> Literally every, every cast, we sit down, you complain, and I <laughs> offer to mail it to you. And I, my Facebook messages, I'd never see a message from you asking. <laughs> I never get an address. We'll get around to it. We'll get around to it. <laughs> all right. All right. What do you feel like winning? Just hit me up. <laughs> uh, and then I actually played some uh, competitive EDH with Animar, um, which I've I've recently finished, and I've been slowly tweaking to be more competitive now that my friend is not playing uh, super jank anymore, <laughs> and I can like actually be aggressive with my combos. Um, but yeah, it, it, that was a lot of fun. I, I ended up uh getting animar to infinite counters on him and then played uh an infinitely big uh walking ballista and killed each and killed the remaining three players with eight thousand points of damage each which was pretty fun man i i also lost to an infinitely sized walking ballista when i played in a legacy event they got food chained that's so good (laughs) feels real bad let me tell you um and I think that's all the decks that I played. And the one deck that I can think of off the top of my head that was the cool standout deck was the, uh, this, uh, what's it called? Gore Clan? No. Uh, Ironworks Cladworks? Iron- Clark, Clark Clan, Clan Ironworks. Ironworks. Clark Clan Art. Yeah, that card. Uh, it was uh, four mana. Sacrifice an artifact. Add two mana to your mana pool. KCI. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, it was one of those decks, and it it, it kind of uh, it comboed off on me both times where he just had a scrap heap scrounger or not scrap heap scrounger. Uh, man, I get all these cards wrong. Are you talking um, about uh, a murder retriever? Oh, scrap trawler. The new one. Yeah. And so he just. You know, pops a two mana one, pops a one mana one, pops a zero mana one, and just kind of does that little loop of of cards and floats infinite mana, plays an Emrakul, attacks me, wins the game, or you know, plays a walking ballista, wins the game. You know, either one. It was it was a uh, very interesting to watch that deck combo off. That's an interesting way to use the word interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it and was that- like. It, okay, so you're you're right. It wasn't interesting because I just sat there and did nothing. While you were like filled with dread, <laughs> dread yet awe at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I just sat there. My opponent played with uh, his magic cards, and you I asked can't... him if I could take my phone out, and he was like, "Yeah, sure. I don't care. I'm probably contemplated win. your life choices. <laughs> um, <laughs> thought about what uh, you did, did, did to deserve this. Po- yeah. Exactly. Po- pose, pose for Snapchat. But you know what? That like I and you have to sit through it because that deck can just fizzle out sometimes. You know, if they don't draw the right amount of cards in the top half of their deck, like they just fizzle and pass the turn and then yeah, you man. win. It all comes down to how much you value your own time. Exactly. In this case, not very highly. Not very highly. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It was like round two. I was going to stick around anyways. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't scoop either. But, man, it feels bad. Just like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, did you guys see any cool ducks? Um... I, I played in a, in, a, in a legacy event that I actually didn't mention. I went to a, a 4K at Channel Fireball, and um, I played uh, Dylan Donegan's Grixis Delver List, and I just got destroyed. Um, I, I didn't win a single game in four matches uh, before I dropped, and then I, I played a side event where I, I got a buy and then got dumpstered in the side event. <laughs> Oh uh, man! Yeah, so and in the side, as soon as that? we decide that um, John's going to be our legacy player for our team, <laughs> he goes and cannot produce a single match win <laughs> in how many rounds of legacy? Like seven. seven? <laughs> <laughs> I got a buy, so six. Yeah, oh, I. Oh uh, yeah, it turns out Dylan got on against list. Not good. Um, quadruple Grimog Angler and Thod Scour ill-advised in legacy IMO. But um, I played against, uh, I guess this is more standard now than it used to be, but I played against a Death and Taxes list that had four main deck Mirren Crusaders, and she proceeded to wreck my shit. (laughs) Yep. Like, just destroyed me. Just absolutely destroyed me. That'll do it. Um, You know, she had, like, the cavern on humans um, into Mirren Crusader, Mirren Crusader, put a batter skull on my Mirren Crusader. It was... It was, it was bad times. <laughs> I, I just I got absolutely crushed. I'm over here like powering out Gurmog anglers, and she's like, "That's nice." Like, I, that's I, cute. I, that's cute. <laughs> I I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Felt really bad. Felt really really bad. Uh, yeah. And then I I got I got just dumped on by uh, food chain uh, two games in a row. It was like he's like dead on board next turn and just like rips the ballist off the top both games. Oh. I'm just like. You know what? So frustrating. (laughs) So frustrating. I've always said that I've in Legacy. It always feels bad not to play Force of Will. Um, But Food Chain is one of those decks that has intrigued me the most in Legacy. And I feel like if I had the resources to play that deck, I would 100% play it. I mean, it's definitely better than it used to be. Ballista gave that deck a huge boost. Um, That and Eternal Scourge. Yeah, it does. Oh, does it really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Then yeah, then it's, it's, it's a bug day. Ah. <laughs> yeah. My point is validated. Infinite, infinite value. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually like thought seized a um, manipulate fate because <laughs> it just represented so much card advantage. Wow. Um, you know, manipulate fate a, a single blue sorcery. I believe it says like, uh, search your deck and exile three cards. Draw a card. Just one mana. Draw four. <laughs> Draw for you. Yeah, just oh god, it's so gross. Like, yeah, I just like thought sees that, and this is like not exactly where you want to be when your opponent is playing stuff like Deathrite Shaman and Leovold. <laughs> gross. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the takeaway from Legacy right now is that Deathrite Shaman and also Leovold are just incredibly powerful cards. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about is... how how disgusting uh, Deathrite Shaman is, but can we just for a minute acknowledge the disgustingness that is Leovold? Oh yeah, that card is just. It it is gross, but I think it doesn't. It kind of seems like Legacy needed that card. Did it? Did it really? I don't know. It kind of feels like it. It, it kind of feels like a like kind of like an equalizer for for decks that are in those colors that didn't have like sufficient threats. I feel like that's a big part of the reason why my Death and Taxes opponent was playing four main deck Mirror and Crusaders. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> just just a hunch. But like, yeah, I've like I've I've on multiple occasions just cast brainstorm on my opponent's turn with a Leovold in play, just just to draw one deeper, you know, just yeah, <laughs> it's so bad, 
so awful. Draw one, put two back. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it's draw one, put two lands back because I I just inevitably flood against against uh, Leovold. I played you know I played uh, I played in uh, a league and I I won my first two matches and I I played checkpile three times in a row and checkpile is from what I've heard from talking to people I know that play checkpile a just an incredibly easy matchup for Blue Red Delver. Uh, you resolve price of progress, you generally win. And over the course of the three matches in a row that I played against Checkpile, I did not resolve a single Price of Progress. Two main deck, two sideboard, brought the two in every single time. And uh, the one game where I actually managed to draw Price of Progress, I drew two, and I got turn two Rise Fault, and out of a five-card hand, it hit both my Price of Progresses. Wow. <laughs> and I proceeded to tilt to an extraordinary level as Chris will test <laughs> as I flooded every chat program at my disposal with just massive amounts of salt. <laughs> Man, that is insane. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still not entirely recovered from that. So. I'd say that losing the check pile is incredibly tilting because it's a pile. Yeah. And oh, so I, I'm an elf player, and I just feel like I just get mized all the time. Like, oh, how many toxic deluges do you play? One. Oh. How often do you draw it? Always. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think I picked up uh, Mike's Mike's check pile deck and I played against you. And like game one, you just like dumped your board onto the field as I like proceeded to flounder around, not doing what the hell to do because it wasn't like a Delver deck. And I'm like, God, these cards are so clunky and awful. And I just had no clue what I was doing. And I'm like, ah, oh, toxic deluge. Like one for six to you. <laughs> That's game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah, it was bad. It was real bad. Chris was not happy. Yeah. But then, like, every other game, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to play, like, you know, five elves, and you draw for turns, like, oh, Liliana of the Veil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo. Huh. Would much rather have Liliana the last hope. It's like, play Liliana, I guess. Edict you. I'm going to fetch. I'll sacrifice this Dryad Arbor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> huh. Get wrecked. Yeah. Oh, I did. So wrecked. <clears throat> um, guess we can move into our topic of the week, um, where we're going to talk about Pro Tour Ixalan. Speaking of getting wrecked. The meta is getting wrecked right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the numbers for Pro Tour Exelon is that uh, rug and four color energy is 43.2% of day one and then 62.7% of day two. Well, they converted. Uh, 62. No, no, so, point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was 43.2% of the day one meta and 62% oh, 63% of those, those decks, decks converted into day two. Gotcha. So okay. Ramnap Red was. Um, 19.6% of day one with a 70.8% day two conversion rate. Seltai Energy with a mere 5.1% day one meta had a 73.9% day two conversion rate and ended up taking down the whole Pro Tour. So I guess this uh, brings up the question, does Teamer and Four Color Energy see some sort of uh, banning? Uh, seeing as uh, we know that more than 40% on day one has been uh, kind of like the kind of seems like where decks start getting uh, hit with bans. Yeah, uh, so in, in history, in, so in like Eighth Work Marvel. 
Yeah, in the past for standard, um, the barometer's been around 40%. So when decks have been over, over the 40% of the meta share, they kind of got struck down with some bans. So we saw this with uh, Aetherworks Marvel and in Band Company as well, and they hit Reflector Mage, which was <laughs> a little bit company. strange because um, Collective Company was rotating out very soon anyway. But in any case, the 40% the mark seems to be about where they... They tend to draw the line. So if if they decide that um, rug or four color energy is um, too good and you know takes up too much of the meta, what card would they ban from it? Uh, so my initial thought was that you know you banned a payoff card, um, but you know historically speaking like you guys pointed out that that isn't really what they do yeah they they like to ban the engine cards a little bit more than the payoffs because the payoffs a lot of times are kind of like flexible right um you can mix things up as long as the core engine is still there that lets you do kind of um fundamentally unfair things and i had to kind of think about it a little bit with this deck but i, I think i think the, the card that really sticks out to me as being um kind of the the engine that feeds into this, despite being kind of an innocuous card, is attuned a, a to ether. Um, it's you know uh, a single green mana. It fetches you a land out of your deck, and it gives you two energy, which is you know not the most flashy card. But when you really think about it, it's kind of the glue that sticks these cards, uh, sticks these decks together. Um, it's providing you fixing, which lets you play a little bit greedier with your mana, which is why we're seeing so many different four color lists popping up, where. People are splashing into black and red uh, from their core blue-green decks. And it also provides you with energy, which anytime you have an ability to kind of cheat on a resource, um, it has the potential to be kind of busted, as we've seen in the past. Um, more recently with something like Aetherworks Marvel uh, and even going you know back to the history of the game with stuff like Cascade, stuff like the uh, Urza block um cards that untapped lands after you played them um, anytime you're kind of getting ahead on a resource there's the you know potential for things to be a little bit unfair and a tune with ether is giving you actually quite a good rate for two mana for a sing uh, two energy for a single mana as well as you know getting you a land out of your deck and fixing you and when you're playing cards in your deck that you know uh, take advantage of this you know it lets you get more aggressive when you want with something like your long test cub but it also fixes your mana with servant of the conduit and aether hub so your attune of aether really opens up a lot of flexible options as you get out of the early game into the you know kind of mid to early early to mid game and um that resource stays relevant the whole game. Um, you know, your whole deck is based around energy, so you're never really, like, casting a tune of Ether and not taking advantage of that energy. It's going to be relevant in every game you play. So when you have such a powerful one-drop card that's both, you know, putting you ahead on uh, mana and, you know, fill, you know, putting a card in your hand and giving you energy, um, you're going to see a lot of benefit from that. I mean, it's also the only one of the only one-mana spells in your deck. Right, so it it helps you stay beneficent and kind of curve out. So typically you wouldn't be doing anything on your turn one anyway. So instead of doing nothing, you get to fix your colors and get some energy going. It fills the cracks in your curves later on in your curve later on as well. Yeah, it 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 is very very flexible and and very powerful in the sense that 
you know, you're getting three resources for one mana. Um, I guess my... I guess another banned consideration would be Rogue Refiner, but I feel like you just replace that with uh, any of the artifacts that make energy, I suppose. Yeah, Rogue Refiner is just a really good rate, though, right? Like, you're getting a 3-2 body for 3 mana, it draws you a card, and it gives you 2 energy. Um, the card that really springs to mind for me when I look at Rogue Refiner is Shardless Agent. Uh, it really reminds me of Shardless Agent, which is a great card. I mean, obviously Shardless Agent is a little bit more busted because the Cascade mechanic is a little bit more... Um, uh, manipulatable than just drawing a card, um, getting that you know that cost reduction. And also, just cast the card instead of putting in your hand. Exactly. So you're you're not having to spend the mana, right? But to pay you off for not having that, you get the two energy. So it is still putting you ahead on resources. Um, so you're getting um, a pretty well costed body, a card, uh, and energy. So it's putting you ahead, kind of on the board in your hand and resource wise. So you're getting three different um three different payoffs for playing this card um it's it's putting you ahead kind of in every aspect of the game it's putting you ahead in the tempo game with the energy it's putting you ahead with the card advantage game by you know being uh a, having a replacement effect when it comes down being a cantrip effectively and uh it puts you ahead on the on the battlefield by putting uh you know a moderately sized body into play that you know attacks blocks does um affects the board in a meaningful way and um, with a lot of these decks playing stuff like Scarab God, um, getting to rebuy it after the fact, after it you know dies in combat, and do that all over again with an even bigger body is really powerful. I guess I, I hadn't been thinking about it until you just mentioned it, but could we possibly even see a, a Scarab God ban here? It seems like every deck that can play Scarab God is playing Scarab God, right? If you can splash black, if you can afford to add black to your deck then you are just going to do it because it's why not well i think the numbers I... don't dictate that quite yet so uh rug and for color energy put together was 43.2 percent but i think um if i recall correctly wizards had it split as to two different archetypes and team energy was far more popular than four color mm-hmm. and so the the straight rug list are not playing um scarab gods at all so i don't think that the sheer number of scarab gods is quite high enough for them to want to um to see it as a as a threat to the format mm-hmm. it's also something that really um keeps uh, an entire archetype in the format the, the blue black control decks really want to have scarab god to even be kind of a viable force in the metagame uh, you take scarab god away and those decks kind of fall by the wayside because you take Scarab God out of the equation, and Teamer Energy is still a very efficient mid-range deck, right? And I, I think the fact that we're seeing these black splashes in the Teamer decks for Scarab God and Vraska Relic Seeker is a pretty standard metagame evolution where when you have a really strong mid-range deck, what typically happens is at some point you will see people try to splash a fourth color to go even bigger for the mirror match. Um, we used to see, you know, back in modern, you had uh, a Jundi or Spirit Jund, what happened was Jund was an extremely powerful deck, and people wanted to get a leg up in the mirror, so what did they do? They splashed white for uh, a Johnny, and they splashed white for Lingering Souls, which were both great cards in the mirror. And um, also against sometimes like the control decks that were trying to you know contain these powerful mid-range lists uh, when the meta became kind of condensed towards them. And I think that's the same thing that these four-color team energy decks are doing is they're you know splashing for Scarab God, they're splashing for Frasca, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to go even bigger, trying to go over the top of the other team or energy decks. And 
you ban Scarab God and they just kind of go in a different direction. You know, they play more Vraskas, they play something else, they play more Chandras. Um, they just go bigger in a different way. So I don't think it solves the core issue that the energy mechanic is being very efficiently exploited in these Timur, Timur Energy decks. Um, they are getting a very efficient beater in Long Test Cub, a la Tarmogoyf. Um, they're getting mana fixing and Servant of the Conduit in Aether Hub. They're getting the opportunity to go a bit wide and to have disposable blockers with Whirler uh, Virtuoso. Uh, they get a very efficient protected beater with Bristling Hydra, which kind of lets them close out the game against certain decks with an extremely difficult to deal with threat. And then they just get raw value in Rogue Refiner. And so I think the issue with the Team Energy deck isn't that like you can just you know ban a payoff card like Scarab God because all the pieces work very well together and you just have to just start you know gunning down pieces left and right to really dismantle the deck and so i think the safest place to look is probably like we were talking about with tune the aether because it's kind of the engine that makes the deck hum, hum along um i was reading an article where uh paulo vitor domodorosa was talking about you know the the teamer black deck and they they called it in testing they called it draw perfect teamer because the deck is like unbeatable as long as they draw perfectly <laughs> and their their mana is awful like they just have a terrible mana base because they're splashing black and so what happens when you take a tune uh with either out of the equation is their mana becomes just unplayable like they just can't do the black anymore um it's just not an option so they have to kind of simplify down and, and have a more robust mana base and play things a little bit more conservatively and at that point the deck is probably not as busted because not only is their mana worse they're also not getting that that energy boost at the beginning of the game so they have to play a little bit more fair and get their energy off the cards that they come attached to you know your long tusk cub comes down with the amount of energy attached to it that wizards intended it to when they you know stated the card out like uh, a long tusk carb on uh, a long tusk cub on its own is not that you know broken but when it comes into play and you already have two energy laying around from your tune of faith that you played the first turn it's a little bit better to curve out with right yep so i guess i guess that brings us to like kind of like the final question of like this uh energy segment but um is is teamer energy an issue like is standard healthy or is or is teamer energy really just like kind of like the boogeyman of the format right now something that's like really hard to say um so like these something like either works marvel was or like um the copycat deck right these are pretty uh easy bands to make in my opinion they're, they're doing something very grossly overpowered and unfair fairly early on to, into the game and it leads to very unfun games the 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 play patterns are not intriguing right no and i don't necessarily think that um team energy is like that it it's a very good deck and it's uh dominating the the field in terms of popularity but that's not to say that it's unbeatable and even at the pro we saw some kind of rogue decks pop up. So one thing that was pretty interesting, I, I don't remember exactly what article it was, but it was showing um, the percentage results of different decks versus what they're expected to be. So yeah, we, we had the most top eight decks were energy decks, but at the same time, there were way more energy decks registered. So a lot of these tier one decks actually just performed right about as well as they were expected to 
just by the sheer number of decks registered. That makes sense. And so if you look so at so the it, more so the more more the more team or energy decks in in the tournament, the more there's going to be in top eight. Right, or day two, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, if you look at it that way, it seems like it's not as big of an issue, right? If if it if its win rate is roughly the same as you might expect it to be, like so, a sixty-two percent day two conversion rate is pretty good, right? It's above fifty. Yeah. But I mean, Ram into Red had a seventy percent, and it was less than half of the one. day one meta. Yeah, and we only saw one in the top eight. Yeah. So it, it's it's not that the deck is unbeatable. But it is, um, it is arguably it's the just best very, deck in the format because it's just very popular. Yeah, it's. I think it's popular because with pro players, they very frequently want to gravitate towards the deck that's like the mid range fifty percent deck, right? Because you feel like you know if you're a very good player, you can leverage your skill against your opponent with a deck like this, right? You know, there's so much inter- interplay between you know the deck. There's so many different options and lines you can take that. Um, I think this deck really appeals to pro players, um, and they feel like they can really, you know, leverage their skill to do well with a deck like this. But I don't think we're approaching a level like you guys are saying, where you know the deck necessarily requires a ban because other decks are still doing well, and it's not favored against every deck. Like these blue white approach decks are definitely favored game one against Team Energy, and with proper sideboarding, they're favored in, in the postboard games too. Um, and being the most popular deck in a format puts a huge target on your on your head, right? So what I want to see now is as the format evolves, you know, post-Pro Tour, because we were in a little bit of a unique situation here where the Pro Tour took place so much later after the release of a set than normal that, you know, I feel like people were kind of holding their breath. Like, people knew Team Energy was really good. They thought it was probably the best deck, but they kind of wanted to see if anything crazy came out of the Pro Tour. And it didn't. You know, Team Energy is still probably the most popular, you know, solid deck. So... From now on, people are going to be coming and trying to dismantle that, right? Trying to take the lead away from Team Energy. And that's a good place for a format to be because you're going to get this natural evolution as, you know, Team Energy is the best deck. People build decks that beat Team Energy. Team Energy. People build a deck that beats that. And you get your normal format cycling from that, right? That's kind of how, like, uh, Green Black Delirium was um, a while back. You know, Green Black Delirium was a great deck. Everyone thought it was really powerful. And then people started playing decks that beat it. And you kind of had an evolution from there where you ended up in this, you know, this three-deck meta where people were playing Marty Vehicles, Green Black Delirium, and they were playing uh, the White Blue Midrange deck. Um, and so I think we'll see a bit more of that as things move forward um, with Team Energy probably losing out on its kind of massive uh, lion's share of, of the of the metagame. Um, I think it's not going to be going anywhere because it's such a you know powerful, efficient deck, but I don't think we'll be seeing these you know north of 40% numbers um, forever. I mean, if if all we do is look at numbers in a vacuum, right, it can be uh, a little bit dangerous, I suppose. Like, if you just said, oh, well, 100% of mono-white vampires made day two, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that that's a true statement, but there were only five decks. So, realistically, that number isn't very that high. Isn't isn't very high. Yeah, another thing that, that uh, was brought up is, um, since the Pro Tour was split between draft and standard, that um, day two conversion might have been 
potentially somewhat skewed by um, players' performances in draft. Yeah, it's always kind of an issue with the Pro Tour. Like someone was uh, talking about the Guillaume Martinov, I think that's how you pronounce his name, with Jeskai Approach in the top eight. And someone brought up, brought up that he went 6-0 in draft. And he, quote, well, he, you know, only went 6-3-1 in constructed at the the Pro Tour. Which is, Which by is no still means a great record. Bad, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a great record. But it's not the, you know, that's not putting you at the top. 15 that that you may want your, you know, some decks to, to have. Yeah, I mean, yeah. your 6 3 and 1 construct record is not putting you at the top 8 on its own. No. His, his immaculate draft record is what put him there. So, um, kind of like a, a bonus question here, but. Do you think that the reason we're seeing so much team or energy uh, consistently uh, across the board just being very good and consistent, is that because do you think Wizards hasn't been releasing as much data as we've had before? Like, can we say that the format still isn't like quote unquote solved? Seeing as we have, you know, the top four, the top five decks of this Pro Tour being completely different decks. Um, with only having very very minimal crossover and the last three decks being Team Energy, is it fair to assume that the format isn't solved yet? And maybe if there was more data like we've had before, that maybe we've we might have maybe we might have seen uh, a more consistent top eight. I would say the format is solved with an asterisk. Um, I feel like um, in some cases when you talk about a solid format, you're talking about a format that has like no fluctuations, right? Like it's, it's kind of reached a resting state where mm. there's no like revolution in the metagame. And while I think we've probably sussed out all the viable big time, like you know, the top contender archetypes, I think they've all kind of been discovered and people are playing with them. Um, and some of them are, you know, not doing, you know, very well. But I think as the metagame starts to kind of go through its natural rotations at this point, as people try to, you know, um, try to jockey for top position, I think we are going to see more variety in the decks. But I think the chances of us seeing, like, strategies out of left field at this point is pretty low. So moving away from the teamer talk, we're going to approach our next uh, discussion about uh, the approach decks. And I feel like the approach decks are kind of underrepresented right now. Um, from a lot of articles and things that pros have been talking about, a lot of them are really kind of afraid of the approach deck, especially in game ones. Seems like uh, approach is pretty favored against a lot of these uh, energy decks in game one. <clears throat> so I guess it kind of brings up... is. Is the top eight approach list the best approach list? With the red splash? Yeah. Uh, I guess in my opinion, it's it's not. I'm very partial to just the blue-white uh, list where you run the flash enchantment that gives a creature minus four, minus zero, and gives you energy. Um, you also run Saddle the Wreckage, Fumigates, you run Ops, you run... Uh, search for Anscantas, and you run a buttload of counterspells. Uh, that, I think, is my favorite and what I've seen to be the most consistent version of the deck. Uh, we have a few players in my area playing it that have ha 
that have seen really good success um and they've actually become kind of like the the fnm uh to beat people mostly because you know if you're not playing negates in your main board you're probably going to lose your game one and then even after that playing four negates might not even really beat them because they have so much counter spells and because they can they can just easily slide into the very very late game where you're resolving one creature and yeah they might have you know they might have a settle for your one creature but you have another creature and then they you know they've boarded in their gear hulks where they can just gear hulk settle you again and you know set you back so many turns um but i i i personally think that the blue blue white list is is better than the red list um and i don't think that the red list <clears throat> and i don't think that the red list is running enough red cards to be worth it um they're only playing four harness lightnings three fiery cannonade and one locust god um i don't think that these these cards are specifically worth it i think the locust god is a big ad for the sideboard though right like that card is such an engine for letting you really grind games out um i guess it's not as good with all these hostage takers running around but you're probably not going to want to bring it in against those decks yeah but man that card just like that's the big ad in my mind is just getting to play the locust god in your sideboard uh really kind of gives you another like over the top threat like even more so than torrential gear hulk i mean honestly you can still play that in the blue red shell or sorry the the blue white shell um having aether hub and maybe putting in one mountain and a, a few fetch lands uh would really allow you to do that um i don't think you need to be adding cards to your main board for it and i don't think that uh fiery cannonade is is necessarily good enough for the deck yeah i mean i think harness landing is fine and all i'm you know trying to shoot down early long tusk cubs and the like i suppose but what I think is crazier is the complete lack of fumigates in his list. Um, I feel like fumigates yeah. just so good against you know all, all these creature decks that are out there. Not only does it reset the board, but it also gains you some life back. And I just you know can't imagine a lot of decks can can hang with turn you know five fumigate turn six. Approach yeah. off your search for Mascanto. Well, it's like every article I read or everything, every time a pro was talking about this, they were like, yeah, you know, the matchup's not that great, but, you know, they're not playing uh, Fumigates anymore, so maybe it's getting better in the future. Like, they're like, ca- like you know, uh, cautiously optimistic that the matchup's getting better because people aren't playing Fumigate because they're going to, you know, copy this list. And that's like, that's where you kind of want to pull the emergency break right and like er, let's let's find things back here maybe maybe let's not do that maybe we keep playing the fema gates and uh you know punish them because it seems like that the, the board wipes are the thing they can't beat the first game right like mm-hmm. board wipe into settle is just like i don't know i'm sorry board wipes into approach are just kind of hard for these well, mid-range yeah, decks to beat like they just can't deal with it um they can't pressure you enough to keep you from just winning with approach when you have that many that density of wipes in your deck the the wipes together with the um the life gain off of approach just kind of put it out of their reach and when you start trimming on um 
your board wipes and playing stuff like harness lightning you, you know you get that pinpoint accuracy but you kind of lose out when your opponent is aware of that and just forces going wide whereas when they do that and you have the fumigates you just punish them and win so um i'm not sure you want to open yourself up to you know that that type of gameplay where your opponent just forces you to have it and oh whoops you're not playing them like you'd much rather just win because when you're favored in the first game your opponent's much more incentivized to try to force that type of gameplay right like they know they're not favored in game one um because they don't have the counter magic really to deal with the approaches um and your ability to protect them so what's their avenue to victory their avenue to victory is generally going to be going wide and for you know forcing their way through um your you know your harness lightnings and that so when you step back from that position and go back to the larger number of board wipes you kind of take that that avenue for victory away from them and 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 put the game one matchup in a much more solid place where it belongs in in the first place yeah it makes sense i i can i can hear that yeah i think you even saw on camera um hardest landing versus soul tie energy with four main board copies of blossoming defense uh, oh yeah, he just lost the game on the spot yeah, to losing defense. Didn't didn't work out how he wanted it to. Um, he should have won that game, and he went for the harness lightning and lost because of it. He had the I think he had to win the next turn, right? I mean, he 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 would have been dead on board if he did nothing and his opponent decided to go for it, but because he could have his opponent could have pumped a ballista once more, which would have added two damage, which would have been enough. Yeah, but the blossoming defense just gave the two damage right there, so. So as a wrap up, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like uh, the deck does need to be running fumigates, and that it is definitely a deck that's going to be sticking around for a while in the format. Um, Moving on, this upcoming weekend is the weekend for all of the RPTQs. Yay! Relevant for some folks here. <laughs> So, I'm sure you've been preparing for uh, the tournament this weekend, Stephen. So, oh yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, what what decks are <laughs> do you think you'd be expecting to to see at see at the RPTQ? So, uh, well, I'm 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 kind of basing my knowledge of of what I'm going to be seeing off of the general meta, and uh, I kind of. I'm gonna hope to play around the decks that people are gonna be bringing to beat the popular decks. I expect, uh, what's popular right now is Avenity, Storm, uh, Blue White Red Control has been doing really good, uh, Eldrazi Tron, Grixis Death Shadow, Humans is on everybody's uh, brain right now. So is uh, what we're calling Tropical Fish, which is the, the Merfolk deck that added green. And Green Black, X is always doing something in the format, whether it's playing white or red or losing or or losing. It's it's doing something in the meta. <laughs> um, so I expect all of those to be popular and to be there, and I expect people to bring decks to beat all of those decks, or if not, have a better percentage points against the majority of those decks. So as of right now, it kind of seems like white is going to be good having sideboard cards like uh rest in peace is really good in this format having 
the one mana removal spell path is really good in this format. Um, having also seems like blue is good. Having counter spells to to counter big Eldrazi's or counter payoff cards in control or counter uh, mana makers and mana fixers in storm. Uh, countering relevant human spells. It, it seems like blue and white are where people are going to be gravitating towards. And, you know, for me, that just says I'm either definitely not playing Affinity or I'm playing Affinity. Uh, Blue-white is just... <laughs> Blue-white's just a bad matchup for Affinity. Uh, so I would assume... Um, I'm going to take three decks with me that day and have three different deck lists filled out and kind of just poke my head around and see what the room is playing i hopefully i think if you see people playing blue white you'll be fine because i think that deck is garbage right now (laughs) as long as you win round one it's basically you never have to see it again (laughs) that's true so is uh one of your three decks gonna be swans you know i think it is honestly at this point (laughs) i have uh, affinity jund and uh some blue deck and I think, as of right now, I have Swans built, um, but that could easily change if I see a, a really powerful uh, Grixis or Blue-Red Delver list, or just a, if I feel like playing Grixis Death Shadow, because I have the cards for that as well. Yeah, so I think... What about I you? You're, you're, How are you right comparing? About, um, white seems seems good. Um, a lot of big creatures running around for my Eldrazi and stuff, which Path takes care of, and then... You got all these really great sideboard cards, right? Like Rest in Peace against Storm and Stony Silence mm-hmm. against Infinity. Um, but I think, well, I'm hoping, I suppose. Um, another card that seems quite good against most of these decks is Blood Moon. So yeah. I'm probably going to be showing up with um, Swans to the RPGQ. And looking at these decks, the the only ones that I'm really kind of concerned about. Um, Grixis Death Shadows traditionally been a pretty bad matchup for Swans. Um, all the discard spells and having your only removal be burn based is kind of difficult against five fives and giant shadows. <clears throat> and I'm a little bit concerned about my Drowsy Tron matchup, but that's primarily because I haven't played it very much. But Affinity is, I think, generally favored. Storm, I feel favored. Uh, but red, I feel generally favored, but I feel like a lot of the advantage I get from playing against um, other blue red X decks is they but spreading your swan is insane. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel like that they don't know how to approach the matchup as well as I do because they've probably never played against this pile of cards before, and. Um, I've definitely played against, you know, Jeskai decks in the past, and they mo- more or less have um, the same same general strategies to them. How do you feel about your humans matchup? The humans matchup, it's it's kind of hard to say because I've never seen anyone play the deck in person, but <clears throat> I feel like I have the tools to beat the humans deck. So <clears throat> if they don't have Mailer Vial and I have a Blood Moon, they don't get to do anything. They're kind of done with casting spells. They have a single basic planes. And if all they can do is play 
one white human a turn, I think that's something that I can manage to beat. <clears throat> and I also have um, main deck. But they can play Thalys too. Yeah. <laughs> but I have like you know main deck Anger of the Gods and a bunch of Lightning Bolt effects. Yeah. So I I feel like I have the tools to to take on the humans deck, but um, how, how, it may how be do you feel really about, like draw dependent. How do you feel about like something like a braid in the sideboard for these kinds of matchups? So, a braid is definitely a very interesting card. Um, it's kind of nice having that versatility. The thing is, traditionally against either battle decks like Merfolk or Death and Taxes, it isn't actually worth bringing in answers for their vials. Like, I don't bring in Pithy Needle against um, those decks generally. And so, I guess the, the biggest problem with the Braid would be it would have to make its way into my sideboard somehow. <laughs> and I'm not sure what, what I would catch from there. But if it were in my sideboard, it would definitely be something to, to come in. As If nothing else, it's just another removal spell for all the, the humans. I just know it's been seeing a lot of play in Legacy as an answer for stuff like Death and Taxes, while still kind of having some some uh, answers for the, the Chalice decks in the format, which is a little bit less relevant for Swans, because Chalice is not actually as much of a nightmare as, as you would think against Swans. Um, but I was just curious as to what you thought its applications were for the Swans deck in Modern against these kind of human hate bear piles that are seeing a little bit more play now. Yeah, I mean... Especially against like the human deck, um, with what four cavern souls, and all these other vials and dollies and whatnot, I I almost feel like their counter magic is just not good at all ever. <clears throat> like they don't the only non human non creature spells they play are either vials, so stubborn analysis seems really bad. Um, and then remand against like one mana two mana spells is really bad even without <laughs> cavern of souls. <laughs> Yeah. So I feel like I'd just rather just board out all my counter magic for, you know, more removal or big lifelink creatures like Batter Skulls or something. Because <clears throat> I would imagine that um, kind of a, a small-ish weenie deck would have a lot of trouble beating something like a Worm Coil Engine. Yeah. <laughs> if I get to survive to actually play one. So I guess all in all, um, it sounds like we're both kind of... Uh still figuring out what we're going to be playing and how we're going to be playing it. I'm disappointed in both of you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, it hadn't been on my brain and then it kind of just uh, snuck up on me this past week and I was like, oh, yeah, that's happening next weekend. Yeah, I, I just felt wanna... like I had some time to play some, you know, sweet piles in the meantime and then all of a sudden I realized yeah. that... Yeah, I wanted to point out that, you know, Swan Guy has been not playing Swans. And has been, hasn't played. has been playing Swans. You've been playing. <laughs> you've been playing the wrong decks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it has been. I, I felt the same way. I felt like I could squeeze in some for fun decks while I, I waited to practice to see if any new cards came out for Mixlon um, that would affect the meta, and I kind of just forgot to even start practicing again after. After Ixalan came out. You've been tempted by the swan song. Yeah. 
and I have. You're gonna yeah, turn into a, you're gonna turn into a sweet sweet noise. You're gonna turn into a two two, which is gonna be your record at the RPTQ. Oh, don't say that! Don't say that! No. <laughs> uh, um, and I think I think that wraps up what we what we wanted to talk about today. Uh, I think we can move on into our slot of the week, where we talk about what card we want to jam into our seventy five, um, and uh, what card we're totally hyped to play this week. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. So something I'm going to be definitely playing in the next over the course of the weekend is good old Blood Moon. Uh, I feel like Blood Moon's been well positioned in modern for quite a while now, and I feel like it's still not really respected very much, and still not very um, popular. People aren't really picking up on how good it seems to be, or something. It's because they're not all deterrents like you are. I mean, I do enjoy myself uh, some degeneracy. So I just want to play a three-man enchantment and watch my opponent sigh and never cast a spell ever again. Uh, what about you, John? What are you going to play? Uh, along similar lines, I am excited in Anger of the Gods. Um, I feel like the decks that don't lose to Blood Moon lose to Anger of the Gods. Um, looking at our what is popular list, I think stuff like Affinity, Humans, Tropical Fish, all quite soft to Anger of the Gods. That's definitely where I want to be beating up on these go-wide creature decks, which have been pretty popular at our local meta. And um, it's definitely something I want to have in my deck. It's basically where I start with my deck selection every week. I'm like, okay, I'm going to play something new. I'm going to mix it up for the YouTube channel. But first off, I want to play some Anger of the Gods. <laughs> so that's kind of where I've been like starting um, when selecting decks lately. So it's definitely something I'm going to be having in my deck this week and probably for the foreseeable next few weeks forward. Uh, how about you, Stephen? What's on your uh, your plate for Slot of the Week? So because I don't definitively know what I'm playing this weekend, um, I'm just going to go with my standard pick because there's a PPTQ coming up. Um, for standard and I'm probably playing standard tomorrow and on Friday uh, I'm going to be playing with Noided Procession I think that card uh, tripled or uh, that card doubled with all the embalmed creatures seems like a very very sweet sweet deck uh, I've jammed some really quick games against Burn or Mono Red and was surprisingly not as far behind as I expected uh, Sunscourge Champion, the one, the three mana, uh, two two. When it enters the battlefield, you gain life equal to its power. Uh, Embalm for four mana plus discard a card. Um, you does the same thing when it comes and enters the battlefield. That really keeps you afloat in the game. Uh, when you can curve out turn three, play it, block something, make sure it goes to the graveyard, or have them remove it, make it go to the graveyard, and then two turns later, have an anointed procession on play in play and embalm it to gain eight life uh it just seems really 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 powerful against that deck specifically um but against kind of like the teamer decks and the control decks it just has a lot of recursion and it has fumigates and settle the wreckage which is well at least my version of settle wreckage and it just seems like it's very very good against those kind of strategies as well um so hopefully I'll be able to jam some of those games this week and uh, practice a bunch of modern online while I while I have the chance. 
And I think that about wraps us up for this episode. Thank you guys very much for sticking around till the very end. If you're wondering where you can check us out, head over to mtgconflicts.com for more content. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube under the same name, MTG Conflicts, one word. And if you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to email us at themtgconflicts at gmail.com. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around to the very end, and we hope you'll join us in the next one. Later. Later.